please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Refresh our lives, O Lord, through the hearing of your word. Quiet our hands and open our minds to what your spirit would say today. Amen. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've spent some time over the last couple of weeks looking at what does it mean to be well packed for the spiritual journey? What does it mean to not carry too much stuff with you? Uh, we used um, Elizabeth Rowland uh, in a video as she was packing for the world race, a 12 month um, uh, mission trip where she'll get to be on every continent and do a little bit of different work with different Christian communities. She reminded us that she couldn't take everything she wanted with her because she'd have to carry it. And so instead, there's this value of being well-packed. She talked about these packing cubes that she could uh, place items in. She put all of her clothes in one. She put all of her toiletries in another. Uh, she put her um, foul weather gear in another one. And then she can find those things quickly within her pack. We've been talking about kind of what are the, the packing cubes that we need uh, to move from the uh, life of worry to life in the spirit. Two of them that we've pulled out are solitude and community. Now, um, packing solitude and community for the spiritual journey is important. Last week, we talked about solitude, not about being alone or just being quiet or having some great meditation, but creating the space in your life where you can hear the voice of God tell you that you're beloved, that you're a child of God. Remember, we talked about there are a lot of voices. Uh, sometimes they're our own. Sometimes they are uh, the work that we do, the bosses that we have, the parents that we have. And so silencing those voices and creating a space for solitude where we are able to hear the voice of God say to us that we are beloved, we are a child of his. As we move on from solitude, the second packing cube is, is community. You see, solitude comes first in that we hear and understand that we are a child of God's, and community is our decision to surround ourselves with people who have come to the, that same resolution uh, or recognition, and then we choose to live together as a family to share the truth with others. Our scripture is a story of community. And that's an interesting story. I love Acts 2.42. All the believers were united and shared everything together. Have you ever watched one of those cooking shows? Or maybe not even a cooking show. Maybe it's a segment on a, a morning TV news show. Uh, they bring out the celebrity chef. Uh, they give you a three-step recipe 
to do something amazing. They get together, someone's already measured out all the ingredients, they've already preheated the oven, they've already greased the pan, the pot holders and trivets and apron all match. It's nothing like when I cook. <laughs> they mix all of the ingredients together, they conveniently have uh, that, that torch that you do the top of the flambe with, already there. They put it into the oven and they say, you just set it for 20 minutes and what you'll get is, they step to the other oven, they open it up and out comes this beautiful, I don't know, you name it, um, that most likely, you know, Michael Heather would have made, right? Is Michael here? <laughs> M Michael's kind of our resident chef, right? Now, first of all, I wanna say that it never is that easy. Right, whatever it is, I don't know, it can be a casserole, it can be something that rises, it can be something that needs to be powdered with, with uh, powdered sugar. It's never that easy. Second observation, uh, you know, there's a definition of affluence in my life, and one of them is having two stoves. Two stoves right next to each other, right? Okay, so you all have two stoves, all right. <laughs> my other definition of affluence is people who walk around with their iPad or tablet outside of a protective case. I just can't imagine that you have that much money laying around. Okay, so at least I've found the felt need there, all right? These cooking shows show you the finished product. They show you the, the best of what it can be with the ingredients at hand. I believe Acts 2.42 is kind of like that. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of community but they don't show you what needs to happen behind the scenes. I mean, so easily, right, uh, the writer of Acts says, every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity, right? I feel like it's a, a, an episode of the Waltons that we're watching, right? They, they don't really show you what happens behind the scenes. Now, now y'all do a fellowship meal really well, right? And if you haven't figured out, it's Taco Tuesday, and we're having a fellowship meal um, after church today. Uh, tacos, it'll be a wonderful time. I hope that you'll come. Y'all do it really well. But I can remember going to my first church, and, and as I walked up to the uh, fellowship meal, the, the, the um, potluck table, I could feel the eyes on me. I was the new pastor. As I'm walking down the row, picking things, I could tell someone was watching me as I got to the ambrosia, because it was her recipe that came for generations, and the new pastor better get a little bit of that ambrosia, right? It came up to the, the scalloped potatoes, and there was somebody there, with, I mean, they really should give the new pastor the, the church's cookbook first, right? And if they'll put the pictures of the people who contribute the recipes, then I can make sure that I make sure my plate looks like the crowd that's there, right? So at the end of walking through the potluck, my plate does not look like someone who has gained wisdom through wellness and good eating. It looks like I am clearly trying to get everyone's approval as it's mounted up. Oh, yeah, yeah, Miss So-and-so, I got your ambrosia. It's right there on the bottom, do you see? Mixed with the scalloped potatoes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. It, it, it's not a, a TV shot. 
It's not a segment of uh, three and a half minutes. Community takes work. Community takes vulnerability. Community takes forgiveness and celebration. Community is more than just five really great verses that tell us what could be. When I think about community, community could be defined as the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Now, some of you are thinking of somebody a few rows in front of the pew or, or behind the pew where you're sitting today, but I'd be willing to say the definition of that one person that makes community most uncomfortable is yourself. It's that place where the person you least want to live with always is there. In community, we tend to trip over ourselves. We trip over our expectations. We trip over our negative thoughts. We trip over whether we measure up. Even in the Bible, community's not perfect. When, Jesus, uh, when we list out the disciples, we start with James and John and Peter, right? The, that threesome. As we move down, we'll throw in Bartholomew, a, a Simon or two, and we get towards the bottom and there's a Thaddeus. But always remember the 12th name on the list of disciples is always Judas. Notice that he's included. The community isn't just a bunch of like-minded people, um, that there's a great, uh, you know, kind of TV um, uh, situation comedy that everything always turns out right. In the story of Jesus' disciples, there's one that betrays them. There's one. Sometimes it's us. Community is a challenge because it requires forgiveness. In community, we have to kind of realize and figure out that we can't do it all. We find ourselves, we, we, we might choose to lead something, we might choose to support and serve, we might choose to be a caregiver, or a care receiver, but quickly we come to realize that we don't have it all. In community, it's almost like um, you've been put under the microscope. And so forgiveness in community is allowing the other person to not to have to be God to not have to be perfect, to not have to do everything right. And of course, forgiveness as offered is forgiveness as received. To be able to eat with glad and generous hearts, to be able to share everything, to be able to take care of each other's needs, whether economic or emotional, means that at some point we have to admit that we have needs as well. I've been confronted with this, recognizing that in 17 days I get to... uh, Quit being the caregiver and become the care receiver. Forgiveness is letting yourself not be enough. I don't know about you, but there are times when uh, I come home um, uh, having done a full day's worth of ministry and, and there's, there's people in my house and I still have to be pleasant and polite and loving. Maybe for you, you get home from the commute from school or work and there's people there. And you think, I don't know if I'm enough. Um, I, I always have this uh, agreement with myself that if you go on vacation, you try not to blow it on the first day of work back, right? Uh, on that Monday, right? You take two weeks of vacation, right? And you show up in the office on Monday and it all disappears, evaporates within your eyes as all the fires and uh, stress comes back. It's important to be able to admit we're not enough. 
Community is that place where we can say, it's okay, you're not enough, and I'm not enough. If we demand that each other be perfect, we become the enemy of community. It's hard to eat with glad and generous hearts when you're trying to make the person across from you be perfect, and you're trying to measure up to be perfect as well. Community is that opportunity to to celebrate each other's gifts. Not in a talent show arrangement. Oh, wow, you twirl baton really well. But rather in our humanity, that we need each other and that we need God in our lives as well. I have a great story about community uh, this morning. On World Communion Sunday, um, you know, it's interesting uh, that um, uh, Christians all across the world Regardless of um, intricacies of belief about who do we ordain or who do we marry or how do we organize and call our pastors or how do we do what we do, we agree as a world Christian body to gather for communion on this day. A recognition that we are community, no, no matter if we argue or fight, no matter if we have walked away in church splits or in denominational splits, we admit that we all follow Jesus. And so we come to the table. So I have a friend, um, her name's Shannon. She's a Texas Baptist who transplanted herself to London. Um, uh, Shannon uh, works, uh, worked in the fashion industry in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, was uh, recognized for awards for design and for uh, marketing. Um, she sold it all and, and went to London. Um, I've often read the Jonah story and thought, huh, um, I might be willing uh, to go to a foreign land if that land was London. Um, but so she goes to London and starts a church. Uh, it's a house church. Uh, they meet for a meal on Thursday nights. Um, about 10 people or so. Now don't ever, and they ate with glad and generous hearts. Um, now don't get um, distracted by their size. Um, uh, her church won awards from parliament uh, during, um, uh, let's see, a recent uh, world rugby championship. Um, it's similar to football, not soccer, but it's a bigger ball. Anyways, I don't understand what it is, but you know, rugby. Um, where they wanted to um, address um, the human slave trade. Now, most uh, nonprofits that address human slave trade try to rescue a woman out of the trade and give her uh, a shelter to stay in. But if for every, you know, you remember the story about the little boy and the starfish and he's throwing the starfish back into the ocean and someone says, well, well that, you know, you're not making a difference. And, uh, and the little boy says it made a difference to that one and it made a difference to that one. So for every starfish that you throw back into the sea, you have to provide a shelter and a bed. It's really expensive. So Shannon and her church thought through and said, let's be economic. Let's be economists. Um, If the problem is supply and demand, let's cut demand. And so through social media, through, they call them beer mats, but it's coasters in pubs. Um, And through doing focus groups and events in pubs, Uh, They measured uh, social opinion before the rugby um, championship and after. They made a a two-thirds percent, uh, 66% difference in um, male friends' willingness uh, to call out another friend who might participate uh, uh, in the human slave trade. Uh, prior to their work, uh, they surveyed uh, all the people who went to pubs and said, can the church make a difference in the world? 
Um, it was like 5% said the church could make a difference in the world after uh, the rugby championship. Um, 75% said the church can make a difference in the world. They did it on $10,000. So Shannon's one of these, I call them Christian social entrepreneurs. Another work that they did, they, uh, they ended up uh, getting the cast-offs from a textile mill that were all beautiful silk scarfs. And uh, one of the needs for their community is to make a difference in the lives of uh, homeless women or women who live in shelters. And so they hired a designer to teach them how to make the scarves into lampshades, taught the women how to make the lampshades, set them up with seed money, and sold the whole business to them. Most recently, Google bought 100 of the lampshades for their headquarters. So you get this interesting idea of community, of caring beyond yourself, of recognizing that, that we don't have everything that we need, but together we have what we need. So to tell you the story about Chateau Duffy, uh, so Chris Duffy is one of the members of her community. He's not came to a place of uh, um, making a decision for Jesus, but he continues to come to dinner because the wine's good and the food, food's really good. Um, he left his coat one time um, after a Thursday night uh, small group meeting, and he came back on Friday to get his coat. He asked Shannon if he could stop by. As he stopped by, he got the coat, and Shannon said, something's up, Chris, what, what's going on? And Chris said, well, I just found out um, that I, I, had, uh, hired, um, I had hired contractors uh, to renovate this 200-year-old chateau uh, in um, the Provence uh, region of France, and they've run off with my money, and I can't get it back. I'm a professional creative, so I'm not on the uh, property ladder in London. Uh, at this rate, I will have no place to live, and I will have no place to retire to. I have no family, I have no more money left, and I don't know what to do. Right there, Shannon said, I wanna take a retreat to your chateau. I wanna bring the whole church community with me. We have artisans, we have carpenters, we have construction folk. You provide the food and we'll bring tents and let's turn your house into a home. That was 10 years ago. In the 10 years, the church has learned how to do pointing which is the masonry work around uh, the stones. Uh, they have oh, good. They have um, worked on the roof. They have put in a septic tank. They have adjusted the beams in the roof. Uh, they have spent life together in France. They have worked on Chateau Duffy. After the first trip that they took, um, uh, Chris said, thank you so much. In tears, he says, thank you so much for coming and making my house into a home. For each one of you that comes just for one week, it was a one-week retreat, when the, when the house is up to code, you may come for a week's vacation at no expense. It's been 10 years worth of trips. The most recent trip was going to be over Easter, now remember, Chris, 10 years, no commitment to Jesus. So Chris says, hey, the retreat's gonna be over Easter. Doesn't that, isn't that one of your Jesus holidays? And Shannon said, yeah, it is. And she, she says, but we weren't gonna you know, force you to do you know, uh, any worship or experience. He says, no, no, it'd be great. He says, y'all are so happy on Easter. Like, let's do some, uh, can you bring that, that 
that, that uh, grape juice and bread thing that you do, that'd be great, right? And we could serve it around. She says, communion, yeah, we can do that. So this last year over Easter, in a house that was not a home yet, in a community gathered because together we don't have enough. I mean, individually, we don't have enough. But together, we can make a difference. I had communion at Chateau Duffy. It's interesting. Um, when we met with Shannon in London last year, we asked one of those great young clergy questions, what's your conversion rate? That's fancy church speak to say, how many weeks does it take for somebody who shows up in the parking lot new to become a member? She says, I think 13 years, but we've only been at this for 11. Check back with me in two more years. What does community look like? Community is a place where we own up to the fact that we don't have it all done. And we look into the face of others and we love and care. We offer forgiveness. We celebrate differences. And together with Jesus, we make a difference in the world. Not unlike gathering at the table for World Communion Sunday, where we truly do believe that a great cloud of witnesses is present. The saints of old, uh, those saints with big S's and those saints with little S's, those who have guided us to this point and those who have made a difference in our lives, all gather around the table to be remembered in the presence of Jesus as holy community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.